Hello there, Vector Podcast. Uh, we are still in season two. Um, if you forgot, you can always go back and check season one. Uh, we had some really, really awesome guests there. Uh, today, I have a big, big pleasure to talk to Atita Aurora, who is the search relevance consultant with open source um, connections. And um, she has uh, spent quite a bit of time in search field in NLP. I'm really curious to learn uh, her journey and talk some of the topics that we usually talk on this podcast, like, you know, search vector, uh, vector search, and also, um, you know, aspects of profession. Hey, Tita, how are you doing? Hi, pleasure to be here, Dimitri. And uh, I mean, before we start, I think a huge shout out for you that uh, this is a great thing that you're doing. And um, I mean, I'm feeling pretty excited to be here today. Yeah, thanks, Atita. You're very kind. And this is what also gives me energy, you know, when people like you uh, say that this makes sense to continue doing. And I really enjoy it myself because I learn so much. I connect with all my guests uh, on a different level in the podcast. And I hope that this is also informative for, for our listeners. At least when I release in all the podcasts, all the episodes so far, I kind of like, you know, re-remember and I learn something new. It's kind of cool. For sure. Um, yeah. I was just wondering, like, we usually traditionally start with, with your background and this is where people can, can learn more. But I know that you've been blogging and you've been talking publicly um, on conferences, um, but still, it's very interesting to know, you know, how did you arrive at this profession? What was your journey? Yeah, I think that's that's actually an interesting question. And uh, I mean, usually when I'm speaking at conferences, I do have this about me slide, which obviously I tend to just skip through because I feel like it's so repetitive now, um, having presented so many times. But I think I never really talk about as to how I started, where I started. And I think it would be nice if it is documented somewhere uh, to look at when I get old and I can tell my kids or my you know, grandkids that this is what I did. <laughs> Thanks to you for that. Uh, by the way, I'm also one of uh, the regular subscribers of the Vector podcast. Absolutely oh, wow. love all your um, episodes. And um, obviously, whenever you publish, I'm like probably the first ones uh, to check them out. Uh, so how I started is kind of interesting. Um, I was a master's student and I was uh, supposed to finish my master's, that is a uh, master's in uh, computer application in uh, 2008. However, uh, our college, uh, which is, I mean, I am uh, from one of the top-notch institutes, uh, which has like uh, a common aptitude test. It's like about 400K people every year take that test and about 100 people selected. And I was one of them. So obviously it was already very prestigious. And uh, we had this culture that, you know, if the course is for like three uh, years, that is full-time course, uh, we would already get our placements in uh, the year two. So the company that I got placement with was a very small company. And I think I have uh, some sort of, you know, radar that I'm always attracted to small companies because I feel like I get a lot of accountability, a lot of things to do apart from the stated role in my job offer which is what I kind of like as well. So it was interesting that uh, I also reached out to them in 2007. So I was supposed to complete in 2008, but I reached out to them in 2007 itself that I have uh, to complete my industrial project, which is supposed to be 
like a dissertation thing that you do in PhD. So it was supposed to be a real life project. And I reached out to them that, can I join the company and like kind of do the training? And I mean, it was really nice of them to let me come. However, they didn't really have any kind of like training programs. And they were uh, experimenting with um, Solar and Lucene and Plone and Zope at that point in time. I'm not sure how many people would really know about Zope and Plone. They are like the Python-based. I don't. Uh, I don't at least. Can you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's interesting us. actually because it was really a thing back then. Um, so it is a content-based uh, content management system which is based on um, Python. And at that point in time, you know, Java was really a thing uh, back then when I started in 2007, eight. So. Having worked on Python, I was like, why am I working on something which is like Python? I mean, I want to work on Java, you know, J2E. That is really a thing, like build cool applications. But um, because I was a trainee and they could obviously, you know, um, kind of modulate, you know, my role, they asked me to research on, you know, Solar and Lucene because they were coming up with the social networking website uh, application. So Orkut was uh, leaving the space Facebook was coming in and we were working on this Facebook application, which could let two people talk without knowing each other's number. And that was all through like what would pop in my you know, profile, like who, who are the people who are close to me? And this was all supposed to be based out of Lucene and Solar. So this is all, I mean, it started off with, and I was literally pulling out all my hair at that point in time, because um, you can imagine how immature, uh, solar was at that point in time we didn't even know like which version of lucene would go along with which version of solar so we were trying and testing and there were so many things which were missing as well but uh, i think i got pretty much you know soaked up uh, even though i at first i did not find all of that interesting because my friends were doing java g2e and .nets so i was like i'm missing out on something i would you know catch up with them and they would talk about all you know cool applications that they're building and how database connections etc were working and i was talking about yeah i'm building this you know data we're trying to locate people on google maps and yeah google is really a thing so it was like i'm speaking a different language altogether and people were like what so it was it was interesting though so, so you, you um, felt like an underdog or something <laughs> yeah i felt like that and then and on top of it i think the bigger challenge was that uh, we had this guy who was um, basically from the ontologies world. So semantic web was very underplayed at that point in time. I think right now it's like coming up as if something really fancy. And all of these things that are really seen in like big light were not really known as they were. So I was asked to find, you know, like the application um, has this feature that I could place people in the circle. Like fourth was really a thing, friend of a friend. So the major, I think the breakdown for me was, you know, dealing with the relationship. Every person is a document and finding relationship between these documents was something that was given to me. And I was like, why, why God, why am I supposed to, you know, do this thing? So relationships and ontologies and visualizing this stuff. Uh, so we implemented this visual map uh, using cluster map API back then and I mean, now when I look back, I feel like that was like very cool stuff that I did back then. It sounds so, very cool, actually. It <laughs> like is. It modeling is. graph using Lucene. It's like not actually, necessarily something people do, or at least I don't know about that. Actually, and and we did not really have any cluster monitoring tools as well. So we built something 
um, by ourselves as well. So using GraphWiz, we built, you know, like how each of the clusters are doing. So we uh, had this thing that obviously cluster was not something that Solar supported back then, but we actually made our own cluster. But one of the things that I would also like to mention here is that we, we did not really, I mean, at least I was, or my manager was not really aware of like all of this could be contributed to open source. So we were like living in our own world, trying to, you know, like build something really cool only for the client, but not really for, I think, a public. And I think this is something that came way later in my life. Yeah, I guess, from... I, I guess probably like before you contribute, um, at least how I feel myself when I also dabbled in solar a bit, you know, in the beginning, and then it took 10 years of in my life. Um, <laughs> I just don't want to say off my life. It sounds so <laughs> negative, but, uh, but, but like, you know, um, in the beginning, you still need, if you're like a startup or something, you, you still need to figure out whether this works or not, right? Whether this exactly. solves some needs for your users, how much of this you want to still keep as a business secret, how much is okay to, uh, contribute because, uh, you might see even more development in this, right. And get Absolutely. Uh, feedback. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, having joined a company that was not really like, you know, big companies back in India, I think um, maybe you would get an, uh, an idea as to how cool or, you know, how small the company was that in my uh, induction program, like the first day when I joined, I was being asked that, you know, grab a cup of coffee and watch this movie. The movie was Pirates of Silicon Valley. So they said, you know, we don't want you to have any rocket science skills. We would just make you, you know, learn all of that stuff. Just get this mindset. And I think that's what I tried at. I love so, that movie, actually. I, I think yeah, yeah, there are two versions of it, right? The original and some kind of remake, if I'm not mistaken. Right, right. that's correct. I think I, I watched the original one. The original and, one is amazing. It's like almost it this kind of... Um, you know, it's like a meditation. You go into that state of mind. And, uh... Indeed. Yeah. We have a lot to learn from that movie. Yeah. But I think uh, just like everyone else, I was also, you know, in India, I think uh, we do have a lot of pressure of academically, you know, like building, grooming ourselves. So when I started in 2008 and then, you know, got married in 2009, had, a, had my first kid in 2010, I think uh, it was the time when I had to take a break. But when I did a comeback in 2011, uh, things were obviously had changed. And someone, you know, told me that, you know, it would be a good idea to have more of, you know, uh, like a hands off kind of a role. And that uh, made me think about, you know, going for an MBA. And um, I pursued MBA in 2014. And uh, I decided that I would leave development because it's too demanding and I cannot manage that with a child. And uh, when I became a manager, I also took up a job as a manager. I did that for like two and a half months. And I was like pretty bugged because, I mean, obviously, you know, once a developer, always a developer, I think. I started always, I mean, I felt like a little bit, you know, more triggered or more, you know, joy in um, seeing how things really work and not really by having you know, said that, you know, this is how, this is what we need to do with an application. Like this is the client requirement. This is the BRD, like a business requirement doc document and then go implement it. So I think, which is why after two and a half months, I just decided to come back to dev. That's where I belong. And well, was there something in the first place that uh, prompted you to take the manager role? Was it just the fact that you were going out of the maternity leave and you thought 
you will do better in management? Or was there something else going on? I think that that's also interesting. I think uh, there are two sides of uh, this uh, you know, answer. The first one was, you know, people usually associate, and this is actually true, that, uh, you know, in a dev role back in India, because we have a lot of, you know, outsourcing work, uh, the clients are usually based out of US. We have long hours of working, and usually the client calls would happen in the evening uh, because we have like 12 hours or 10 hours of difference. So by the time you're ending your day, you have your client calls and you have to stay back in office. And that's probably not like that for our managers. They have a little more perks. And I think that's what someone suggested. And I think I tried to play along. Although, I mean, I don't regret doing MBA at all because it's, it just helped me understanding like what my manager is going through. I mean, how is he thinking? Like, how should I behave? So that just gave me also the context of the other side of the table. So yeah. I don't regret it. But, yeah. but like I think in, in some sense, it sound, if I capture it right, it sounds uh, that maybe it wasn't the most natural move for you to take the manager what? role. Maybe it was just some circumstantial in a way, right? You thought it would be better, easier with your uh, new responsibilities in the family, right? That, that, is right. Right. that is correct. Yeah. And I mean, I would say like, uh, you know, Personally, uh, maybe women have obviously changed. It's been five years I've moved to uh, Berlin now. Um, and until I moved and all you know, women professionals that I know, uh, my friends in India, I think they still have this problem of clearly communicating what they want in their job roles. I mean, if you can do that, um, I think you are already an awesome woman. Uh, I was not one of them. It was always like something that, you know, people would see me as less if I'm asking for, like, I need to be at home with my kid because he's too small. He may need me. But I always try to, you know, keep things to myself and try to you know change myself, try to leave what I was passionate about uh, just to fit into that frame, like how women should be, how a mother should be or how a wife should be. So that was something I learned very hard way. Yeah. And it's like something that uh, I'm sure we will touch this on this topic later in the podcast but like it's something that is kind of implicit and uh, when we talk about men maybe they don't feel that and again it, it depends on the culture where you come from you know mm -hmm. in my culture uh, you know men are also like um, assigned this uh, responsibilities that you should be the man who um, earns money and hence all your decisions need to be based in order to maximize that probability that you will be that person but maybe you don't want that path you know, right. maybe you still want to go and explore what is it that you like. And so uh, it's Absolutely. it's it's interesting that how culture and, you know, society shape us in that direction until we just carry the momentum until we realize, hold on a second, am I going in the right direction? And that's what happened to you? True, true. That, that was the exact same thing. And again, I think the major bump came in um, that... Um, there was this uh, company or uh, or a training company, so to say, um, let's put it more precisely, who reached out to me, um, which was like uh, far away, at least from the place I lived in. Um, and they said, like, uh, could you remotely, you know, develop uh, this uh, solar curriculum for us, for our training? And it was probably the first, you know, big things that happened to me. And I was like, okay, I mean, I work on the application that uses solar. I've used solar before. Things have changed now. And that was uh, in 2014 was the comeback. Like, oh my God, solar is like still working? Like people are still working on this? Okay, wow, amazing. 
that's when I realized, okay, solar has really transformed. The community has grown and it was interesting. I think that was more like, you know, meeting my old friend solar in a whole new, you know, attire, like with dinner jacket and suit and with a tie. And I was like, oh my God, dude, you are popular now. So that was, that was the thing for me. And, uh, preparing that course curriculum for them. I think that was when I learned about all, you know, the developed features that were available in uh, solar back then. Uh, also learned about elastic search back then as well. But that training became such a hot cake because I would give, you know, public webinars, obviously were was being paid for that too. There were like almost like 400, 500 people on those webinars to, to see like what this course is all about. Everyone wanted to become, uh, so there was no role search, such as search engineer, like the engineer who knows uh, about search, more or less. But uh, we would take like 25 people only in that course, um, or maybe even less sometimes. But uh, I think uh, preparing the course curriculum was one thing. And then conducting that course for the first time was completely next level, because I did not imagine like people who would come to that course would come with like 10 or 20 or 30 years of experience in Java. So imagine like people are really asking me questions, very low level, like what is happening when, you know, face setting is happening? How is this, you know, variable, you know, uh, is it in the, uh, you know, like uh, memory or is it in like uh, somewhere else? Like how, what would happen like performance wise? Can I improve this? And I was like, I mean, I am literally like stumped because imagine like this was 2014. I started back in 2008 professionally after uh, completing my studies. So six years and that too with a break of like one and a half years and competing with the knowledge of like low level code in Java with a person who has been working on Java for like 25 years, obviously it was something. And I would always say, and I hope um, people who are uh, listening to this uh, do not, you know, recall, like uh, I'm, I'm saying all of this out loud on a podcast, but I would say like, I have nine years of experience, but even nine years was less at that point in time, because these people are like always very senior and uh, which made me, uh, you know, like take break from my office, like literally understand from the code level, like how each of these features were working. Although it was solely done to like, you know, literally save my reputation at that point in time. But I realized like the benefit or the uh, grooming that it brought along was like way bigger. I think that understanding that was like, I would say like a major breakthrough for yeah. me. You, you reminded me of, I don't remember, was it 2011 probably, um, Berlin Buzzwords, um, there was some um, raffle for whatever, like I won a book um, written by Rafal Kutz on Elasticsearch. Mm-hmm. And he actually wrote uh, like a couple words there. And he said, if you don't find answers in this book, then read the code. And luckily, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the code is also open source. And I was like, this was like such a big opening to me in some sense, mm-hmm. even though I was coding by then, I was like, hold on a second. So if I don't find, what does it mean? So this book doesn't contain all the answers, you know, like major <laughs> things. And it's pretty thick book, you know? I was like, yeah, wow. So it just tells you that how experimental you need to be, right? And 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 that there are no given answers, right? And right. That, so, so true. Yeah, that, that's exactly how it is. And then uh, 
while giving this training, I mean, I ran almost like seven, eight batches. One of the person was uh, my student who recommended my profile to uh, Lucidworks. And that's how I uh, got into Lucidworks. And I discovered whole new world of open source. Oh, so now you can write code and, you know, contribute or, you know, shape the product as well. Like I can really define like how the solar function would work. Like I've always, you know, been on the other side, like complaining, like, oh, you know what? I don't like, you know, how this shows on the UI or I don't like, you know, why it forgets about this thing or how about, you know, if I could change this behavior. So instead of, you know, just making that change in my local copy, I could actually open source stuff. I could actually contribute as to how product shapes. And I think that was like, you know, like Eureka moment for sure for me. Yeah. So that's yeah, awesome. that's and at, at, at that point you moved to the US for that job or you were already in the US? Uh, so I moved brief, briefly to US, uh, but uh, as I said, like by that time, I already had my second kid who was six months old and it was not very, uh, you know, practical for me to stay there by myself. And which is why I decided to come back, uh, leave my job there in Lucidworks. And I started my own consulting company called uh, Bistro Innovation Labs. I know the name would sound like as if it's a restaurant. And the reason, I mean, there are like a lot of things that people used to ask me, like, why is it called Bistro Innovation Lab? Like, you should have something like a sci-fi formula or like some math algo in the name. Uh, why would you keep it like a bistro? And I was like, because I'm so passionate about cooking. I think I forgot to probably mention that during my intro. I got so excited. <laughs> it's okay. But yeah, I think a food part is something that really, really, uh, you know, brings the best in me. I think if my staff or whatever I'm doing is not really working, I think if you do not find me on my desk, desk, uh, you would find me in my kitchen. So that's mostly, uh, you know, where my word lies. So I'm yeah. dangling between my desk and my kitchen because I think I love it that way. Yeah. And that's what I called my company as well. But do you think there is some connection actually? I think at some point I even like blogged really briefly uh, about this uh, as I was just learning how to cook, I guess. Uh, okay. There is some connection between how you write code from scratch and how you cook before you learned how to cook that particular dish, right? That's, like you can assemble true. from building blocks and like in that order. Right. I think I think that's an interesting point. I mean, it does function the same way. And it's obviously like the experimentation is something like you would experiment with different cuisines. Like usually I have, I mean, I don't really do that. I don't change the basic nature of the food. I mean, if it is German food, it should be German food. I mean, I would not try to Indianize the food, uh, mm -hmm. but <laughs> I think somewhere I do that. And that experimentation is something that I would also connect with like creating something. And I think that's, I mean, I never thought about it from that aspect, but uh, yeah, I think good point, good correlation, so to say. Yeah, absolutely. And then what happened next? So you opened your Bistro Innovations Lab True. And I think that landed me a job in Germany. Uh, and interestingly, I had never been to Germany before. And for me, I mean, I had been to London before I had been to US before. So to me, or precisely so to say, you know, I'm, I'm trying to wrap all the Indians so to say, for us, every foreign country, you know, we can speak in English. But I think the biggest trauma was like when I landed um, in Germany, in Berlin. And I realized that Oh, English gate niche. <laughs> and I realized that, you know, it would be very difficult 
but um, I think I had I had a tough year in 2018 when I decided to move here for several reasons because I was trying to make sure like my you know family settles here well at the same time trying to you know uh, have a little bit of a grip on the language as well like my work at that point in time but I decided to close uh, the company afterwards oh, sadly so, you couldn't keep it I could not yeah there are some All right. general knots so doesn't yeah. work and did you, so, did you but you did have clients on it like you did uh... oh yes I, I had clients I had clients I had three pretty major clients back then and I think one thing that uh, somebody commented about it yesterday as well, and they say that I come across subtle, you know, in a very subtle, very, uh, you know, uh, very straightforward way. And this is something that people do not expect me to be. But uh, I think that uh, subtleness came very hard way to me. And I want to preserve it that way. So one thing that I try to set an example also for my kids is that I don't lie. I try to make things as clear as possible. So I tried communicating to my clients that, you know, I would not be able to work because I have already my hand, hands full and I'm trying to settle in a new country, trying to manage my family, also helping, you know, my husband who did not have a job back then. But um, I mean, if you can adjust with that, we can still keep working, but then I would not charge you for that because I mean, anyway, I would be paying taxes for it. So I think eventually, um, I mean, it was like more like um, one or two calls a week and then it transformed into one call a week, then one call in two weeks and then one call a month. And then eventually I just lost all the clients. And I think that's when I decided to close it out. Yeah, yeah, that may happen. But but still you had the, um, you know, the affinity towards search um world right and develop i do have i do yeah. have and uh, i am working as a source relevance consultant now with open source connections i think one of the reasons that i decided to work with this company i mean they are very well-known search consulting companies in the space and the mission statement uh that uh you know they want to empower the search teams of the world that really, you know, is something that that really rings a bell, you know, or I would say like it shines with what I want to do, basically. I mean, you know, all of us have this, you know, mindset that we all want to do something for money and something for what we really are passionate about. So I think that's really nice, like how I connect, because I feel like I resonate very closely with the motto of the company. I mean, I also want to, you know, empower people and like share my knowledge as open source or like, I mean, if I'm getting paid for it, even better, but uh, yeah. And I think it is also different from how traditional consulting companies work. Like I have been with consulting company myself in uh, starting off my career. And I feel like that the companies who are taking the services of uh, these uh, consulting companies are more like, you know, very closely tied. I mean, it's like, you know, being married with them forever and ever, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. No turning back now. You're always, you know, going to be with us. And I think that's where it's open like, source connection. It's like job security for some businesses, probably, right? Like that, that is the, true. kind of like lock-in model. And 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 you are saying that, you know, in open source connections, it's the opposite. And it's actually clearly stated that what you said, empower search teams to learn and become independent if they want, right? And eventually exactly that kind of unties the whole situation. You don't need to really exactly. be. Exactly. And, and if you look at it, it's very natural. Like, you know, we help teams to, you know, fish their own fish. 
it's like you know we are unblocking them to achieve their you know goals i mean if you think of it from a video game point of view like and then they will be stuck at some other point i mean by then the context would have changed and they would have swim through like their initial challenges so i mean as a consultant i would also get a new use case next time so it's like you know we keep on learning with our clients and i think that's what really excites me about my job well that sounds great and i mean when you think about search um really what are the companies that are so publicly known and shining and and doing so many things but open source open source connections you know with haystack conference in europe and in the us with all the tooling you know like cupid and beyond like right. um i think it's in part i think why this podcast also exists is because to keep going and discussing and keeping that you know connection open that we 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 talk and we we develop the the thought further and we share our experiences Indeed. and i think in many ways that's what open source connections has been so successfully doing and and what what is your role there in a little bit more detail so about my role i think uh, things and again another thing is that uh, i i love about my job is that uh, i have i have uh, independence in terms of like what i choose to work on so when i talk about an engagement i mean there have been uh, cases when i've been a um, strategist also been an engineer so i get i would say like enough time to you know research about stuff i get uh, time to also be hands on i get time to you know explore stuff and you know develop good solutions also as a counsel to the company uh, that we work with and i think individually as well like you know you feel really valued like if i want to have some transition like for example if we would you know like to bring this in because it's a vector podcast like i added uh, vector search to chorus so i think chorus is uh, uh, so to say like a small you know like experimental you know web shop that uh, bunch of you know folks started off i think eric pew and rene and uh, paul and i think uh, there are a bunch of other folks who tried to bring, bring together you know all the tooling which is needed to run a web shop or an e-commerce shop and i think with all this buzz that i was you know hearing at uh, you know whenever we meet you know different clients they were like okay what about vectors obviously we're consultants people look up to us you know for advices like is it something for me is it something that i can do is it something that you know we should go for and you know i am a person again i said because uh, i have something that really stops me if i have to lie so i mean i would usually you know keep mum i would not really say something and i don't want to be in that situation for too long because obviously the world is still you know uh, getting ahead of themselves they are you know developing new solutions every day and then chat gpt came and then i mean already a buzz about transformers and like llms i think it's just nonstop and everything is you know kind of you know like uh, the the boundaries are diminishing so i remember like last year when i started with open source connections in um, jan uh, in feb i uh, got a chance to work with this client and they were like uh, all about you know westpa and then we also considered working with uh, vv8 and then what do you suggest like are we making a good choice i mean is this something that we should be doing and at that point in time i was like literally like okay i think i don't know i don't have enough context of this and i think that's where it all started i mean that presentation i gave at berlin buzzwords last year about vespa it was a condensed version of how i learned vespa and how i got completely you know i mean it switched 
sweep me off my floor. Like there is something that existed, uh, you know, at uh, the time when solar existed and it has been as solid as, you know, rest of the other uh, traditional search engines as, as well as, uh, you know, so many, uh, you know, uh, data science functionality that, that it offers. So it was, it was amazing. And I would say like, uh, sometimes that imposter syndrome that, you know, we women have, you know, it also, you know, like transforms uh, or it's uh, something that triggers us to do something that in the end, you know, comes out as, you know, more like shining or uh, mm -hmm. grooming us. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I liked it. So I think that's where it all started. And uh, I think I proposed that idea to some of the folks uh, at uh, OSC that this is what I want to do. Uh, it took some time, of course, because I was on the full-time um, engagements with the clients. But when I had like the first, you know, stop, uh, I tried to make uh, some things work. I experimented with stuff and uh, that's what we came up with. So um, um, Renee really helped me with the, because uh, I gave like initial uh, demos uh, to him and Eric and Charlie. And I said like, you know, I'm struggling with that. The embedding needs to be calculated somehow. I mean, Solar already supports um, vectors, but the only challenge is that, you know, the vectors for the query need to be somehow calculated, you know, outside of solar. And that's when, you know, uh, Rene suggested, like, it would be a good idea to maybe, you know, use Quirky for it. And I have not worked on Quirky before, and I have been wanting to do that. Uh, somehow none of my clients were uh, really at that stage that they could use Quirky. And that's how I got to, you know, touch the entire stack of open source connections. I have already contributed on Cupid before, like adding visualizations and uh, uh, the other stuff, solved a lot of bugs. I think Eric would really hate me for that. Uh, and why? I uh, why would, why leveraged- Why would he hate uh, you? Why would he hate you for that? I mean, because it was it was something like, I don't know, like some sort of a charm. Like every time I would touch Cupid for some client requirement, I would find a bug. Yeah, and then but... I think he's been, he's been very nice, I think uh, in, in principle that, uh, He's person that who would say like, oh, there's a bug, please log the bug. How about I offer you to work on it? I mean, it would initially feel like because I reported it, but actually, I mean, if you see at, at that, I mean, it would actually come as, um, you know, very empowering thing. Like he offers you to, you know, solve it the way you like. And I think not many people are as open. Yeah. And if you turn it around, like for him to know all the context details is super hard because you encountered it in very specific context and you have all that the input true. to reproduce it, right? So you that are the expert of that bug. <laughs> that is true. I think that's another way to look at it. I mean, I never thought of that in, in, in that aspect, but yes, that's, that's true. So that's uh, something that triggered me to work on Cupid. So I worked on several bugs before I added visualization and that too, came through because I had to otherwise, you know, do the visualization outside of Cupid. And I would then complain, like, how about, I mean, I'm anyway using data from Cupid. How is it like, you know, if I could use uh, the data that's coming from Cupid, like inside Cupid somehow, you know, supporting uh, the visualizations as well. And I think it was certainly groundbreaking that we added uh, Python notebooks functionality to Cupid. And that just opened up a whole lot of, you know, the AI portal yeah, that's amazing, um, yeah. actually, because um, I also kept pushing Cupid in every job that I took, right? And uh, not necessarily pushing as in I'm selling the tool and I don't care what's the purpose for using it. But I, I just know that for all these typical problems with search quality, mm -hmm. instead of like reinventing a wheel, why not take an open source um, 
you know, tool, like keep it and, and it's commercially friendly license, you know, go ahead, deploy it. It's very easy to do so. Exactly. And, and, And then when I saw the, um, the notebooks, I was like, wow, this is so cool. I can just now Slack to my data scientist and say, Hey, We've just yeah. labeled all these queries. Can you do your magic right here in the notebook? And I can actually ac- access it as well, potentially, or whatever. I mean, it's just like so much easier than to scratch your head and think, okay, now I need to download all this data, all these annotations, and then push them somewhere else. And then, yeah, it's. It, I think it's an amazing feature. Thanks for doing it. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, so I think uh, also during this course of discussion, we also discovered some uh, documentation bugs, something that were not mentioned in solar documentation. I contributed to that too. So I would say like in principle, I think we have a very supportive uh, and encouraging culture in the company, which is what I really like. Uh, I think, uh, I don't know, maybe if I could talk a little more about, you know, uh, this vector implementation. I mean, there have been several talks about it as well. I also presented at... uh, uh, you know, Krakow, uh, the haystack on tour. Um, but I think it was something that was, uh, you know, has been sitting on my mind for too long because I think we need a, you know, reasonable way to not, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, detain the question from the client. And also at the same time, we want to address the question in most, you know, like explainable way. And I think this was like the explainable thing that, you know, is something that people can use. And I think, uh, all this while, you know, people have been discussing about vectors. I think people charge money to show you that, you know, vectors could work in your search engine and we do it for free. And I think, again, going by like what my company does, like we provide a lot of informational content, you know, for free and open source, lots and lots of things, you know, which usually would cost a lot of money to the companies. And I think this is something I, I really feel like I'm doing a good job. I'm making a difference. So I think... That that really brings a lot of you know like satisfaction that I'm doing a good job somewhere, so that's that's nice, and uh, I think now I'm working on to also you know experiment with other stuff uh, with this vector thing. Um, I presented that you know we would be working on improving the image models. So uh, basically, I mean I'm sure you know about it, but for some viewers uh, it would be a new thing that Chorus is uh, a dummy shop, and we have a data set that comes from IceCat. So iSCAT data basically is, uh, you know, like a collaborated content from Amazon and other, you know, uh, web shops. And uh, usually that content is like very, very structured content. It has images as well and a lot of, you know, uh, minute features or attributes of all the products. So which is why it's like a good uh, example. Plus we have other content as well in uh, the course in general, like how Cupid would work. Uh, locally for your web shop and how you can use Quirky and Smoey to uh, do the searchandising part and, you know, manage the search rules. Like if you want to bring some brand up in the search results, you could do that as well. So I think uh, we promised that we would be working on the images side and because we have access to images, usually we have an e-commerce uh, shops. So we try to, you know, leverage that as well. And I think if you look at the demos that we presented, even without fine-tuning the results were like, breathtakingly unbelievable. We were like, wow, this is this is amazing. So I think in, in general, I think it was very, uh, you know, liberating experience that, you know, um, we could use vectors successfully uh, in the shops which are using the traditional search engine. So we, uh, I recently also contributed the Elasticsearch version, 
because again, in a lot of forums, when we posted about vectors in solar, in chorus, uh, solar version, we got a lot of questions about like, is it going to be supported also in Elasticsearch? So I think I just took stab at that too. Yeah, and, that's awesome. Uh, and, and chorus is implemented in which language? Is it Java or? Yes. So yeah. chorus is, yes, it's combination, of course. I think I'm adding a lot of, you know, Python content to it as well. I think one of the more interesting things that I also contributed and I felt like it's something that usually people would not share it on the open source. It's like how you can convert your documents into vectors. So I think this is the part that usually, you know, the data encoding process, something that people would really charge you high amount of money to, you know, add vectors into your indexing pipeline. And I provide that again for free. <laughs> Yeah, and open source version. So I think that is also something that people could take advantage of. Yeah, I mean, just a couple of years ago, when was it exactly? A year ago, uh, Eric Pugh traveled to Europe to meet mm -hmm. you guys in Berlin, and then he also traveled to Finland to visit me. And, wow. and uh, he he um, he was in the hotel room, and he said, "Hey, let's uh, work for a few hours." And uh, he was actually asking some questions about vector search. We were writing this um, article in um, Search Insights, right? Oh, right, right. And 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 he was saying he's he's very passionate. He's like almost theatrical. He was like walking in the room and saying, "Okay, here is the pipeline. I have Solar. I have this. I have my Java-like client. So where will you compute these vectors if all the models are accessible through Python, right?" Yeah, And it wasn't just a question of, you might get the same question with your client, but it was like, wait exactly. a second, do I even know myself? What would I do? And I said, probably I don't. So I would start engineering something from scratch. That is true. And I think that that is, that is actually uh, one of the most obvious questions that keeps coming across because a lot of our clients are now interested in this. I mean, I know... Uh, a typical work week for me has been like, I'm giving like more than four or five demos in a week uh, to clients like who want to know about this. Like, will it, will it fit my use case? Like I have this, you know, size of the catalog, like will it fit my use case? What do I need? And uh, what kind of models, I mean, I need to choose. And obviously there are some things that we need to also, you know, spend time and, you know, charge money for. But then eventually, um, it turns out that, you know, people bring in their concerns and that basically, you know, like shapes, uh, what is it that we need to contribute next to the open source? What is it that is confusing people? Why people are creating so much hype about this stuff? Like this needs to be demystified. And I think that's what my company does the best. And I think I'm just learning from them. Yeah, I think it's the, it's an excellent spot. And it's like, um, usually um, with all these hypes, things get overcomplicated. Um, but in the end, if they prove to um, to exist, right? It proved the right to exist. Then I think many of these things will get simplified. Uh, they will probably, to, to some extent, even commoditize. Mm -hmm. and, and like, I think it was a recent LinkedIn post that woken up every single mind in search by Doug Turnbull, where he says, you know, why what's happening with Elasticsearch, what's happening with solar, what's happening with these language, large language models. And, you know, like, and it's like, how do you, so many people chipped in? And, yeah, uh, I was one of them too. Yes. And they are, are still like revolving around like some of the, some more interesting concepts, some more like basic concepts that really are 
unsolved in many ways. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, how do you even like deliver vectors to your database and, uh, and so on and so forth. And one of the comments, I don't remember who said it, um, was, hey, you know, in the end, keyword search and vector search both will be as equal kind of like commodity that you can play with in any order, um, probably give some weightage to one, one on, or another, depending on your use case. And so mm -hmm. complexity will shift away from these basic topics to something more domain that, specific. That is that is actually right. And I'm glad you pointed out. And this was uh, something uh, that, that's been like constantly asked uh, when we present, when we give demos that, you know, how do I fit this into my existing stack? I know it's cool. And because when we say that, you know, it is understanding the semantic meaning of your query and that means that even if the things which are not described in the similar vocabulary, uh, then also your search engine can find them. So I think, which is a very powerful thing if you look at. Uh, and also there are some people who really wanted to use all the machine learning magic. I mean, I remember the craze in 2017 when LTR came out, like how many people really wanted to use LTR. And then it was like, you know, that kind of gave a lot of struggle to a lot of folks. So it's just that how easily accessible, you know, machine learning models have now become. So people need to know, people deserve to know that it is not that rocket science anymore. Like it is very common. It's very obvious. It's, it's like the natural path that should go into. And um, the thing that I wanted to point out earlier was that uh, the hybrid is the way forward. There are so many things that I could think of that keyword does the best. And I think sooner people realize that hybrid is the way forward. Yeah, and uh, like, what is your take on hybrid if you were to offer it to a client? You know, I have heard from some of the clients in the past, you know, okay, so if we have a vector database, like VV8 or Pinecone or whatever, or Quadrant, and then we have the needs for the e-commerce application, like facets, and we cannot do it in some of these databases, uh, so what should we do? Like, do we, like does hybrid mean that we will run two databases, like one Elasticsearch, one vector database, or do you have a better answer to I that? I think not really. I think that's that's also an interesting point if it's coming in the discussion here. I think sooner a lot of these, you know, uh, vector database and vector search engine companies are also realizing that they cannot lose what keyword search engines brought. They cannot just take it away. I think one of the other things that, you know, uh, the keyword-based search engines have brought is like, uh, you have total control on what goes into the search engine. And I think this is something in the name of semantic understanding, you cannot just push your content into the search engines. So you still have to massage the content. You still have to treat it. You still have to have control on this data. and Somehow, like if you say that, uh, you know, synonyms are not needed anymore because, you know, uh, vector search engines, you know, would understand all of that. But what about stemming? What about, you know, there are tons of other things that we do in the before putting data into the search engine. And I think that still stays relevant in a lot of different contexts because this has, uh, you know, developed, this has grown over the period of time. You cannot just throw it all out. So I feel like there is a, you know, mid kind of point that uh, 
you know, we have to come, like especially for the traditional search engines and the um, new uh, search engines, which are emerging in the market, they have to come somewhere in between where we try to, you know, bring best of both worlds. And I think that is going to be the way forward. Yeah, but I guess we are not kind of like there yet, right? I would say like, I mean, the change has already started. All right. Uh, in, in the presentations that we give, in the demonstrations that we uh, provide to the customers, I think uh, people ask us that, you know, what is the smallest use case I could, you know, try with this? So I think one of the suggestions that always, you know, comes from my side is that, you know, attack the cases that do not, uh, you know, perform well with your traditional search engine. So for example, like the long tail queries, I think this is where any traditional search engine struggles. This is probably the first thing. And instead of, you know, running into a zero hit screen, like it is better to, you know, have a chain sort of, uh, which should delegate your uh, query to the vector search engine or vector part of the query. And this is something should be like a smallest, you know, like way to adopt the newest technologies and take leverage what they're yeah. trying to bring in. So maybe like from the product perspective and business perspective, reducing right. the search abandonment rate, right? Because exactly. That 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 what actually takes a lot of money away from all these players, you know. Absolutely. Search abandonment, you're just pissed, pissed off, and you're like, you cannot find anything. So why should I even keep trying? The system right. does not even like respond. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I have been that in that situation before because I've also worked on like a lot of product searches. And I would leverage something like, you know, I would keep on doing like the uh, relaxation of the uh, tokens in the query. So I would keep dropping the content that doesn't make sense. But then I would say it's not the easiest thing to do. Rather, it is easier to pass on this query, like the long query to another system that is, you know, dealing with semantic similarity. And once that has proven its worth, I think that's the time we bring it forward and we uh, take it more like from the uh, down to up approach. Yeah. So I think the message really to vector database companies is to think about what you can take from uh, keyword search engines like exactly. Solar Elasticsearch, yeah. OpenSearch, I guess, as well, right? Absolutely. And also message to the existing keyword-based uh, search engine companies as well is that you're not old-fashioned, you're not like out of the market anyway. Like uh, you have proven your worth uh, over the period of time and it is here to stay. It's just that how quickly you can adopt to the change. And I yeah. think that, that is happening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's very interesting. Um, I think you you are calming many people <laughs> now. <laughs> like, oh my God, I hope are, I are we losing, are we losing the, the wave of innovation because we cannot, um, you know, introduce vector database into the mix or whatever but i think you can right like with solar alessandro benedetti is doing a lot of work in implementing the vector search there and then that is true in elastic search of course also maria sharipova and uh, others have been uh julie yes julie tipsirani have been doing a lot of work there right um but like i do still feel like um what doug was saying in, in his post you know the crux of it that like it doesn't feel like this functionality is advertised well. And, I think and it's that's also, actually the point, yes. And, and, and not, not, not even from the marketing perspective, but more like from the perspective of, hey, how do you get things done with this? You know, like all these Absolutely. basic questions answered. Yeah, I think that that's actually a very good point. 
I think, and, and there's a very, uh, I would say like a contrast you see here because the companies which are bringing the vector uh, search in a database or the search engine format, they're new, they're upcoming in the market. I think this is part of their marketing strategy that they have to talk about it, they have to advertise it. It's just that, you know, the traditional search engine companies, or I would not say like solar is not really a company, uh, Elastic probably is, but then because they are already, you know, like very popular, people are using it, they don't need that mass, you know, publicity, so to say. But I think we need to talk about it that, uh, okay, I think if, if that's a trend, like we do it too, but we don't talk about it that uh, that much, as much as we should be doing. And I think that's actually an interesting point, which means that we should talk about chorus more because I think that uh, basically exemplifies as to how easily can this be done with your search engine. So you don't have to divorce your existing search engine to use some cool technology, unless you really have a case where you are starting right up from the scratch, I think you can consider uh, using one of these. Otherwise, I think if you're using something already, which has grown over the period of time, it doesn't make sense to throw everything out of the window just yet. Absolutely. And and with your Lucene mindset, uh, what have you seen in Vespa that looked attractive or that, that, that yeah i think i have i have been quite a vespa fan girl i would say more for the reasons that the content the kind of content that uh, vespa team generates i think you know you would need when you're talking about features when you're talking about you know search engine or you know different kind of like what can be uh, enabled with this feature you all uh, you know think about like okay will it perform like how much of query response time am I looking at? What is the data set I'm looking at? And when you look at like the Vespa's content, I mean, you don't you don't have to look any further. Like everything is summarized so well. I think this one thing that I'm trying to, um, you know, adopt into my writing style that I uh, assess everything well that I can say it out loud to the public, to the world that, you know, this is how it performs. And I think uh, the very knowledgeable folks I mean, especially Joe, I think I have been super impressed with how he describes stuff. And I think some of the things have really like blown my mind out as well. Like, oh, this could be done in this way as well. I think that's that's one of the things. And while developing this presentation last year, I think I bugged him a lot. <laughs> but it, he was he was always, always super responsive, even his team. Uh, there were some, you know, UI things that I found out like were not working as expected. And I think they're always, you know, very uh, modest and, you know, acknowledging that, okay, this is something that we'll work on and uh, this is how it works. So they're always there somehow. Like, I don't know how big the team is. They're always, you know, some uh, familiar faces who are always responding to your messages, but it's it's nice. Uh, one of the other things that I would like to point out is also that, I mean, distinct or I would say like a nice thing is that uh, updates is one thing that, uh, you know, you would struggle with in a search engine. If you have big catalog and you're expecting, especially like in e-commerce, like updates come in. The company that I used to work for before, we used to have several updates and we used to club them up, kind of bashing process. And we would process them uh, just as like together because we didn't really have resources to process them uh, like one by one or just as how they come. I think Vespa really does that, like true updates, true atomic updates is something, true partial updates, sorry, is what they do. And I think this is something really, really cool. And I think 
that just takes away that need that you need to re-index everything. And sometimes, you know, people complain that I have a really big catalog and it takes like six hours if I re-index everything. I think that's something they, they clearly stand out. I think when they say, when they claim that we are search engine for big data, I think they really get it done. Yeah, and I think it was also proven in the context of Yahoo uh, systems, right? Some that's, of the large-scale ones. Yeah. I mean, they're always the early adopters, and I think the way they write about this stuff and how they implement, I think they thoroughly, you know, cover the, the topic when they're talking about it or implementing it. And I think that's what I really like about them. Yeah. So, like, if you would recommend someone who starts from scratch, would you recommend Vespa? I think I can. <laughs> I think I can. I think. You know, one of the things, maybe I'm, I'm old fashioned or I don't know, like this, this is not affiliated way. I mean, no one has really paid me to say this, but more of like, uh, I feel like it's not as fragile as uh, so many systems that are coming up recently. I mean, obviously we have more uh, sourcing power. We are way stronger infrastructure wise, but I think it is as solid as, you know, solar elastic is. I think the kind of trust I have in them and also, like, as, uh, you know, clearly catching up to the uh, trend and, you know, evolving soon is, is also what they have. So I think that's that's really kind of something remarkable. Mm -hmm. And, like, to think, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge palette of systems, and it's not like one, of, one is the only winner here. Like, if we, think, if we think about, you know, Lucene itself... Um, which has been developed for like how many years? 20? Um, yeah, indeed. Or more, actually. Um, it has so many um, human languages, natural languages supported um, that you cannot find probably in Vespa or other systems. But again, it all depends on your market, where you're going. If it's English speaking, probably you'll be fine. But like if that, it's like true. Japanese or, you know, some of the interesting tokenizers that have been contributed to Lucene probably still stand out. Yeah, I think that's that's also a, one good point that how much of control or where exactly am I coming from? I think a lot depends on the context too. That is that is right. I mean, yeah. I would agree. Yeah, and, and like switching gears a bit. Um, so we did touch on this topic, but like, so your, your progression in the profession has been from, you know, what sounds to me like, uh, I don't know, it's a super tough competition to go from 400,000 people to 100, something like that. It's just insane. Um, it just feels like, you know, a journey full of challenge. Uh, but then like on top of this, th there could be other challenges that, I don't know, like gender inequality or whatever is happening in the world today, right, in the yeah. profession. And um, this was one of the topics that um, really stood out on Haystack uh, in Berlin last year in September, right? Where right. you ran the session Women in Search, if I remember correctly, the, the title. Yeah. And you had some um, Women in Search invited on stage and some of them have sent pre-recorded um, little presentations. I mean, this was very like emotional. It was, it was a learning experience for many. The crowd was uh, speechless in some sense, applauding, of course. W what was going through your mind when you were preparing this session? How did you come up with this idea? 
I think, uh, I mean, I would also acknowledge like when people raised hands after the session, I was expecting like, oh my God, what kind of questions? Like people would start asking me like, you know, how did you come up with this? Like, how did you come to this figure and stuff? And they would ask me questions about uh, what I presented. But it was absolutely so heartwarming to see that each one of the people who raised hands were to appreciate and tell me how they felt about the session and not really like putting me on the spot. And I think um, one of the other things that I wanted to achieve because we've had the first session um, of uh, Women in Search in um, Haystack US last year. So Haystack is just around the corner while we're talking about this uh, or might've happened when we <laughs> rolled this out. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think Audrey uh, presented the first uh, Women in Search session in the US, and it was a panel discussion as to what women really expect uh, in um, the uh, company or what kind of qualities or what kind of features they, you know, stand out for women when they decide to join a company. And it was an hour-long conversation. Uh, I think there were different kind of, you know, feedback. Some people enjoyed it. Some people said like, oh my God, it was kind of like too much to sit in one place and listen to like five women talking. So I think the idea came from uh, the point that I would not, you know, have uh, like uh, a panel discussion. It has to be something different and it has to be something solid. It has to be something that people can relate to. And it has to be something that is contributed by several women. So I cannot bring everyone up on the stage, of course, but I wanted to make sure like I have as many women as possible somehow to talk about themselves because each time I speak to, you know, fellow women in, in the search uh, crowd, I feel like they, they very much, you know, underplay what contributions they make. And I think this is something I keep telling, you know, people that I meet that, you know, what you're doing is amazing. It's just that if the other person failing to see what you've done, it's not that you've you've done uh, you've not done anything less and I think this is basically the message that I wanted to kind of you know spread across that you know if you're not seen enough I mean maybe we just need to gather you know like we as women and we would be there to support each other we would be there to kind of you know advocate for each other we would be there to mentor and collaborate with each other if um, and I also said this in the session that but uh, one thing that always, you know, like surprised me is that men form group to kind of groom themselves, to develop themselves. Women just don't do that. I don't know why. Women are often, you know, like in their heads, they're still competing with each other because it's like, okay, only one could be Miss Universe. Only, you know, one of you can be succeeded. There's always like, you know, one best thing. And that basically, you know, triggers this competitive nature in us. And I think that needs to really go away like and and people do it people make us compete and I think this is something that somehow you know um, I'm trying to you know um, like spread across that there is no point competing let us you know use each other's you know strength to become you know one solid strength so that you know we can really like uh, become a better version of ourselves so we're not competing with each other we are you know we have to act as one so mm -hmm. that's I hope that that message kind of spreads across. And uh, I hate when companies say is like, you know, we uh, have rolled out this position and we're expecting like 33% applications from women. Like we never do that for men. Like we never say out the numbers that, you know, like these much of our, you know, applications came from men. Like why we have to always, you know, explicitly 
talk about this number, like we have reservations. We don't need reservations. We need like we need to be equally considered. And I think there have been like several uh, sessions. And uh, I think when you talked about the preparation, I think I literally soaked into that moment, you know, became one of like the activists myself. I was attending so many different kind of webinars and like the in-person sessions. I don't know how many tons of like groups that I joined afterwards to listen to like what people really talk about. And I think this is like very uh, specific or critical to me because I want to make sure like I deliver my 100% when I'm doing something, even though if it is non-technical. So although I was like very uh, skeptical about like if I should do something non-technical, because I think in my head, I was still replaying really that I don't want to be typecasted as like, oh, maybe she's not that technical. That's why she's talking about, you know, non-tech stuff. So it was kind of like I was confused, like if I should do that. I mean, I don't want to be typecasted, but in the end, I was very happy, very um, surprised, happy surprised that people took it well. People took it the way I expected them to take it. And a um, lot of women reach out to me as well. A lot of companies reach out to me as well. And it's surprising that uh, how many people want to collaborate and, you know, they tag me on several, you know, LinkedIn posts as well when people make big claims. And that gives me an opportunity to speak to different companies as to, you know, what are they doing and what is it that they want to do? And sometimes people expect that, you know, I would be coaching, like, how can they add diversity, how they can bring in more women in the team. And I'm like, okay, I can help you with your, you know, search application. Not maybe, this is not probably what I master, but um, it, it's nice, I think, how many people kind of, you know, want to be involved with this venture. Um, there's this company that I recently spoke to. Um, I would not name them. Um, I would present them maybe in Haystack EU, who are, who have got so convinced, and even the CEO of the company got so convinced that they introduced, like, supporting women and having women in presence uh, in their company as like one of the pillars, pillars of the company. Like this is what we are defending. This is what we are going to be talking about. So, which was very heartwarming. People sent me messages like, oh, after your session, you know, we added like two or three women to our team. I think in next six months time, we would let you know how this goes. So it's very warming to know, like people are trusting me. People are, you know, like reacting to it very positively. People are not, you know, typecasting me and, that's, I mean, it, it feels, you know, like uh, I, I feel accountable for rest of the women as well. So I feel like if, I mean, I can somehow, you know, bring more women together, like the problem that they have, they do not have means to network, even though we are in so much advanced world, like some way we could mentor women. I think if you remember, like the, the women that came up on the stage, they were not speaking up that nicely as well. I mean, they were not groomed in the, in the manner that, you know, some of them were really shaking. And uh, some of these women, you know, wanted to, they, they were feeling more comfortable to speak like in a recorded video in the closed room. And I think that's where it was coming from. Some of them were obviously coming from another place altogether, last minute additions as well. So obviously they could not manage to travel, but most of them had this fear that they were like, you know, we would introduce ourselves in one line. And I was like, yeah, I mean, one line, two line, three line, just come up on the stage. Like, let's just, you know, feel that, you know, light of the stage, like how does it really feels like? So, and if you, you were there in the session as well, like none of the contributions they mentioned were less in any way. It's just that we don't realize the that how big our contribution is. I, I, mean, Unless I, I was blown, literally. Like, I, I think I even made 
the comment there. Uh, I don't remember the name of the lady, but she was saying, hey, I was just like a student and then I found an internship in one company and I started contributing to solar and, and my code was accepted. And, yeah. And, and, the and lady she still who contributed was, to Ramset. Yeah. yeah and she was exactly. And she was still um, like doubtful of herself. Like, am I going, what, what is this? Is this the right thing? You know? Yeah. And, and I was like, I remember myself what, when 2010, 11, 12, something like that, I came up with some ideas some code and I was kind of thinking, what if I contribute something to solar? And I failed. I could not never like find my myself a path there. And then mm -hmm. like, at some point I kind of like gave up in a way. Um and you know, like and then this lady says, Hey, I just did this small thing, right? Uh, and clearly underselling it. And oh, clearly by the way, like, yeah, yeah. That's, that's true. And by the way, I mean if she's listening or someone else is listening, I have used Paramset in the vector implementation as well there you go <laughs> yeah i have tried to include all the bits and pieces like you know i mean i'm all always you know touched by this open source you know contribution part i feel like that gives you the opportunity that you can learn from experienced people and it takes effort to accept the feedback from such a large audience uh, so many experienced people it gives you opportunity to interact and have you know like comments from people who've been working in the industry for such a long time and if you survive like one contribution even one contribution i think that's that's where it starts and, and, and something like you know it, it's like some addiction like once you start it it's like you don't you just keep want to do it like every in every possible way you just want to make sure like you're contributing something or the other it's it's so amazing it, it feels amazing as well yeah, exactly. And uh, it's nice to, you, you say this because I hope that there will be more female listeners also uh, joining this podcast. According to my statistic, at, at least, you know, there have been domination of male listeners if YouTube is not lying to me. <laughs> uh, but I don't think that should continue that way for sure um, because this world is much more diverse, much more interesting. Um and and also uh, we should remember to say that in the uh, relevance and matching uh, tag Slack there is a secret group, right? Can you say something about that? Like a channel? Uh, you mean women in search group? Yeah. Uh, it's open. I mean, it's yeah. open to women and the allies. So if you consider yourself as an ally for uh, women in search, uh, you're welcome to join it. There is no secret. Uh, you can be happily part of it. And uh, we have session once a month, every first Wednesday, and we still have that. We are trying to uh, bring in more useful content. So I talked about like mentoring part and the, you know, collaborating part, and then how I'm seeing that, uh, you know, women should contribute and, you know, collaborate more. So I'm trying to have um, a pattern where um, we could have some tech sessions as well. Like I imagine, uh, uh, the I think two two months ago I think because for, uh, last two I have not been able to attend myself one when I was uh, um, out of town and the other one I think I was not well so I did not attend them but then what I'm trying to have here is that uh, we have, we're trying to have uh, uh, more like tech sessions more like people open up to themselves and then you know to the others that this is what I'm trying to achieve so I think the session that I had like two months ago I was still implementing stuff 
uh, in chorus, I was uh, still kind of battling with like, how do I make images work? And I was considering, and it was so beautiful that during that call, like everyone who was, you know, just kind of, you know, getting to know each other. And it's nice that, you know, every time we have a meeting, at least one or two new people join in. So uh, one of them said, like, have you tried this? Have you tried that? And everyone got their, you know, Jupyter notebooks out. And then they all started, you know, like, oh, this is going to work. Oh, maybe this one needs a licensing cost. Or maybe this one we should not consider because it supports these many um, things only. And then by that time, that one hour, I mean, became so productive that everyone left that meeting with some knowledge of vectors. And it was so amazing to see that. That's super cool. I mean, I'm really glad to hear this because it both connects to like an overarching goal, some real purpose here. And and also, oh. you know, you create the environment of um, support and exchange and cross-pollination. I think this is something that men should do too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're welcome to join the sessions. I mean, this yeah. this is this is really. I mean, I, we feel. I mean, it's it's really nice, and I can say like you have good reputation. People would love to have you. Okay. Uh, we hosted uh, Sebastian from uh, Viviate, who offered to help after the uh, Haystack EU session to help women to you know have some public speaking skills. And I think we've had amazing session. We did not put that out on YouTube yet. I'm not sure why, but then people who attended absolutely thanked us and uh, said like it was really useful. So I'm planning to have more sessions like that. Maybe we could host you someday as well. Oh, yeah. That'd be awesome, for sure. And you, so you have a YouTube for that, or is it a part of- Oh, uh, we haven't. I think this is the reason why it was not put on YouTube because we don't really have a channel and we did not know like where should we put it, but we recorded it for sure. We have the recording. Yeah, I think today YouTube is one of the- um probably de facto platforms. I'm, I don't want to over advertise it, but I think I think it's a good place to be. Yeah, I think that's that's a good suggestion. I think we'll certainly consider for that uh, in, in future as well. But yeah. yeah, I think the entire idea is that, you know, we need to make a positive impact, be it with open source, be it with, you know, the uh, trying to push and uh, bring up more uh, minority people um, up front. One of the most, uh, I think one of the things that I would like to highlight here is also, maybe we haven't touched, but while talking, uh, it strike me that uh, we have a saying back in India that uh, behind every successful man, there is a woman. I yeah. think it kind of, you know, reverses itself in my case, because uh, my story started, I mean, if I talk about from my college, my husband is also, uh, my was my classmate. So I'm like one of those uh, blessed people who has a company of someone who always supports me. And I think I have been here all this, you know, bold and like standing on the stage giving presentations because um, behind that is the person who is, you know, very meek, very nervous, like, how would I do it? And he's the one who's always, you know, encouraging me to come up on the stage and like, I can do it. So it's, it's interesting that behind me and every, you know, big stake that I took, there was always a man. So if I talk about like the first one started with my husband, the next one was obviously my manager at my first job. Um, and uh, with the open source as well, uh, I would like to mention that there is a, a search engine that's probably not very popular. Maybe a lot of people do not even know about it, open source server. 
and uh, it's not affiliated with AWS Open Source in any way. But uh, so this guy has uh, recommended me also on LinkedIn, and we bumped into like maybe he was trying out. Uh, you know, other contributors or developers as well for his uh, uh, search engine. And we collaborated and he showed me whole new world of open source, open source uh, contributions. So he's a very critical person, I would say, like code wise, I think he's really good. And he worships, I would say, Mike McKendall's because every time I would not understand anything in Lucene, he would show me something from Mike McKendall's. So, I mean, uh, it was it was nice. And um, then I started, uh, I think if I talk about from the open uh, source connection, um, affiliated uh, libraries as well. So Chorus was mostly like Eric and Rene uh, kind of uh, pushed me into like, we should do something together. Cupid again, Eric uh, promoted sort of that, you know, you should try fixing some things. Also with Solar, uh, it was uh, Eric. And uh, with OpenNLP, it was uh, one of my um, colleagues at Open Source Connections, uh, who's not um, with Open Source Connections anymore. So Jeff, who is uh, chair of the OpenNLP um, um, library. So I think there was this discussion we had because we were trying to work on a use case together. And uh, he suggested like we could do this with OpenNLP. And uh, I was using an uh, OpenNLP before as well, uh, like in 2017. And somehow never really thought of like I would contribute, but I pointed out to him that, you know, there's something that could be done in this direction. And he said, like, why don't you do it? And I was like, me? Like, no way. And he was like, no, no, you can do it. I mean, if you understand this, I mean, certainly. And I think, as I said before, like it's an addiction. Once you start it, you just don't want to stop. And I think that's yeah. how I started. I mean, I started using it more and more, contributing more and and you, and you became the committer as well, right? I became open, the committer, yes. Of open NLP, right? Yes. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah, it's <laughs> nice. Actually nice. And the kind of people who review your code and like you get to know like, oh, this could be done this way as well. I mean, I can say that it's a very rounded development opportunity that I got with open source, open source contributions. So that's something I can highly, highly recommend anyone I think one of the things that has really helped me in, in principle is like starting with the documentation or maybe the test cases. I think that's very classic advice that you would get from anyone who's been working and contributing, but that's really the right way to go about it. I think documentation really helps because you cannot just write anything like that. You have to try things out yourself before writing about them. And I think that just gives you enough context to pick up some tickets and like start solving them. I am actually uh, mentoring some of the people like outside my uh, job um, to contribute on open source. And uh, just so you know, these are the people who have been in the industry for like 20, 25 years. So, I mean, there are people who come with a lot of hesitation that, I mean, is it even something that I should do? But it's it's nice. I mean, the kind of questions they bring in and the kind of discussions we have, it's, it's amazing. So, yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, for sure, like what you said makes so much sense. You know, like you read the docs, you, you will uh, and you will test it out probably as part of your job or, or of your research project or whatever, or your curiosity, right? Yeah. And something will definitely not be right. I mean, whatever said in the doc is no longer true or it doesn't apply for your use case. But how did you 
you said, you know, this imposter syndrome and like just general fear or like you didn't have experience with it. How did you kind of leap from from what you just encountered that doesn't work to actually going and contributing it? I think that that is something, I mean, I've, so I think the first time it took kind of uh, the bigger leap of faith uh, than rest of the other times. I think once it works, that, that's what I'm saying. Like the, the first time is always going to be the hardest. I think you would always, and uh, I think not being able to contribute on solar for almost like six years, I have been away from solar and I can say like a lot of things I already implemented when they came out in solar um, 4.10, I think. That's what I started working on in uh, 2012 or 14. And uh, it was kind of this grudge that really like made me feel and took me on a guilt trip that I could have done that, just that I did not have a knowledge of. So which is which is why, I mean, I'm, I'm saying that if you think about that, you could do it. I mean, just think about the worst thing. Worst is that somebody would reject and ask you to rework on it. But from your side, you would have the satisfaction that I thought this could be done this way. And I tried to, you know, do it this way. And I think that's what that's how I am living now. I mean, if I have something on my mind, sitting on my mind that this is how it should be done, I just execute it because that is what is in my control. Like I can execute it. Uh, approving or not approving something is something that I delegate to the rest, the, the other person. So I think... Uh, that is also something that we uh, brought up in the discussion with Sebastian, that a uh, lot of women, when discussing like, how can we become like better public speakers, asked him that, you know, what is a good topic to be submitted in the conference? Like, how do I ensure like my topic is accepted? And he made a very, I would say like a reasonable advice that from your side, what you can do is like submit the proposal. I mean, accepting, not accepting is something, I mean, once it is, uh, you know, like submit it, it goes to the next swim lane. And that's when you stop thinking about it. If it comes back to you, that's when you need to think about like, what do I need to present to woo the crowd and making sure like you make a point. But then that's what even I do. Like if, if, if I think about that, this is how it should be done. I just do it. Yeah. I feel like Max is like, it would be rejected. It would not be accepted. Or somebody would say like, oh, you know what? This is wrong. This is now hot. This is not how it should be done. That's about it. You get a feedback. Either you get the uh, recognition of uh, the stuff that you've contributed or you get feedback. Both of them are good. Yeah, that's beautifully put. I, I, I remember about one person uh, who was like a Java champion. I don't know if you know of this title that was awarded at some point by Sun Microsystems. I think it's called Java champion. You know, people who really popularized Java and, you know, talked about it, written books and contributed code and so on and so forth. And um, he was saying, you know, whenever he received the question and he had like 20, 25 years experience in this. And he was saying, hey, when I hear a question from a newcomer doubting themselves million, million of times, you know, should I apply for this job or should I become... Should I commit something here, like code or whatever? I'm just afraid. Um, he was saying, okay, go and get your rejection. Mm -hmm. So it's like that first leap that you take and it becomes a bit more like a game. I mean, it's yeah. like, and it, he had a bit of like 
humor here, right? Okay, so you're doubting yourself, you think you will get rejected, then prove it, go and get it, right? And as they go and get it, they will probably either get it or succeed or get some partial, you know, stage and uh, to, the, to the partial stage and probably need to revise something and so on and so forth. Right. Right. No, that is that is amazing. I mean, I love it. And I, that also brings back like I used to have this email signature, I think, in uh, during the time when I was in college that I never lose. I either win or I learn. Yeah, <laughs> that just brought back. I mean, I don't know I, I, at what point in time, like I removed it, but I, I really lived by that that line that uh, you either learn or you win. So, I mean. Either ways, it's 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 a win. Yeah, and like probably getting ahead of ourselves, but like even when you start getting these small wins, they have start and end, really. Like by the end of the win, you're like, okay, what should I do next? You know, next challenge for me, you know? And, and that's probably you're already ahead of yourself and you're doing a lot of work already, but that, at the same that, time, it, that challenge is always there and that's the part, part of the game and part of the... Uh, reinforcement right. learning and that is actually the correct terminology i was just looking for that term i think reinforcement learning is i think that's exactly how it happens i think for me it's it's exactly how it's going like uh, i contribute something then i get feedback then i present it and i think i start you know uh, becoming more kind of like passionate about the other stuff so it's like you know throwing your hat over the wall and the next time you throw it at, uh, I mean, throw your hat at even higher wall. So I'm not sure if you understand that terminology. Like this is something yeah. that that's like taking your chances. Yeah. So it's like throwing hat over the wall. So that's yeah, that's that's. So I'm I'm trying to make sure like all the feedback that I got from demos and the presentations that I gave so far. I mean, I, you know collect all of it, making sure like I address everything. I have big presentation again at Berlin Buzzwords to give this year. Oh, nice. And, uh, awesome. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of like something, if I look back, like the first time when I spoke at Berlin Buzzword and um, I think year 2020, then that's when the conference was like online. It was something I remember that, uh, I mean, I went to my office because my kids would disturb me. And I had this, you know, like I was so nervous. I had like five bottles of water next to me. And then I did not drink anything because I felt like I would have to leave the seat uh, for the toilet break if I drink that that much water. So I was so confused, like I'm thirsty because I'm talking so much, but then I would not drink them because I would have to, you know, go away because I was hosting the lightning talk session, which went on for like a little longer than a usual talk session. So it was, it was like, from that point in time until now, I think, yes, it's it's been quite a journey. Yeah, amazing. I mean, this this really like coming to this logical question that I usually ask, uh, like the question of why. Uh, and uh, um, like you shared a lot today, you know, about women in search, your own journey, um, public speaking. And there is always something new coming up, new projects, new blog as a result of the project, maybe mm -hmm. new struggle and new learning and so on. But is there something that keeps you in this profession beyond these challenges, beyond solutions, or is it just that? 
I think it's mostly, I don't know, it's, it's something so engaging and the joy that I get in solving things, I think that just keeps me going on and on. And I think uh, it's also like a commitment that I have to myself uh, that um, learning things and experimenting with stuff that, that really brings the best out of me. So, I mean, I have this somehow ambition. I want to be, you know, like I want to know everything and maybe uh, language analysis. I mean, that, you know, so much, you know, has a, a, like a, a passion that I have for these that I want to be like a PhD someday in that. And which is why I want to know everything and somehow like just aiming for that goal. I know I'm like maybe old, old for doing PhD. But yeah, that's the goal I keep for myself. Like if I, um, I think a short story before we end is that uh, people ask me like, what does your name means? And I think if you've not noticed, like my name is a palindrome, my first name and my last name. So it's C-I-T-A-A-R-R-A. Yeah. Uh, and if you reverse it, it stays the same. Also people ask me like, what does it mean? So my name is actually a machine learning model. So I learn from the past. <laughs> That's what my name means. And I want to just, you know, prove my name that if my parents, you know, thought of something before naming me Atita, uh, they, they get what they expected from me. And that's all about it. Oh, very beautiful answer. <laughs> really. It's like living to your, uh, to your true self. Yes. Amazing. Is there something you want to announce? So you already said that you're going to present at Berlin Buzzwords. Um, is there something else you want to share with the audience that they should know about? Maybe um, course or something, something um, that they should, um, you know, get yeah, their hands think, dirty with. Oh yeah, for sure. I think so. The Elasticsearch version of course is also out now. I mean, happy to take more questions. If you have anything, reach out to me on Slack, of course. Uh, other than that, there were cert certain things that I wanted to rework. So we wanted to work on our image models. So that's now been fixed already. So happy to give that try as well. Along with that, uh, we're soon going to be uh, sharing some more information about fine tuning the models. We're already working with Gene AI on that. So hopefully we can come up with a blog post or something that uh, demystifies that part as well. Other than that, uh, I have some plans also for Haystack uh, EU. I'm working on some case studies uh, with the companies. I mean, if uh, somebody who's listening to this podcast thinks that they could be one of the candidates who wants to be involved with this case study, uh, we would talk about how involvement of women change things at your workplace. Feel free to connect with me on relevance like or whichever way you think is the best LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah and Twitter maybe. <laughs> oh yeah, Twitter for sure. Absolutely. Thanks for adding that in. Fantastic. I really, really enjoyed this conversation, Atita. I, I learned something today, um, and I think that our listeners did as well. Um, keep improving your model. Keep generating Absolutely. more of the paths so you can further your model. Um, and I hope to meet you as well at, at, at Haystack or, or, or some other meetup, maybe online. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was entire really pleasure to talk to you today. Yeah, same here. It was amazing. And um, I mean, it was it was obviously like a different level, like being a subscriber and 
being on the show. So that was the kind of uh, like uh, moment I had with myself today. Thank you for this opportunity. Thanks so and much. I wish you also the best for the forthcoming podcasts. Yep. Thank you so much. Thank you, Atita. Yeah. Bye-bye.